$10. And he demands the $10 right then. Immediately, he wants the money that's owed to him. And the man says, I can't pay it. That he's saying, I don't have the capacity to do this. And so the man, the forgiven servant, has this fellow servant thrown into debtor's prison. Other servants who had been before the king settling their accounts, they see what this man's done, and they go and tell the king. And the king is angry. That wrath comes out. And this is what it says in the message. The king summoned the man and said, You evil servant, I forgave your entire debt when you begged me for mercy. Shouldn't you be compelled to be merciful to your fellow servant who asked for mercy? The king was furious and put the screws to the man until he paid back his entire debt. And that's exactly what my Father in Heaven is going to do to each one of you who doesn't forgive unconditionally anyone who asks for mercy. That enrages me, that passage. And I look at it and I see certain things every time I read it. This time, he looked at the idea that he didn't have the capacity to pay. That it was such a huge debt, and I, I use figures that Eugene Peterson uses because he wants you to hear how huge the debt was. $100,000 compared to ten. He wants you to see, Jesus wants us to see that both men had no capacity to pay. Also that the idea of him auctioning them off to slavery. Shannon mentioned this last week. These Parables tend to have the images of hyperbole, of exaggeration. To make the point. And we see that in some of Jesus' storytelling. But he wants you to see that slavery is something that this man's unforgiveness is what he's choosing for himself. He knows the consequences he knows what could happen to him if he can't pay. And yet, he's given something that is an incredible gift, and that is the gift of grace. In this chapter 6, we see that the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin, the costs what you should owe or what you should have to pay. And the idea that he's a forgiven servant who's unforgiving of another servant. That was the one thing that I saw so clearly. It was servants that were all together that were having to settle accounts. 
And it's servants that were doing, it was a forgiven servant doing something to another servant in front of other servants. This is our community. This is their community of people that care for one another. And they saw how giant the debt was that was forgiven by their king. It's fascinating because you could argue that the king wasn't clear of what the contract was in being forgiven. He could have complained and said, you didn't tell me I had to forgive other people. I thought this was a free gift. You didn't tell me that there'd be consequences to my actions. But we should know that. Shouldn't we? Because it was a huge debt. But maybe we think it's unfair. And again, the hyperbole of the immensity of the debt compared to what was owed to him. I think there's a need for him to feel the fullness of the debt. The unforgiving servant, unforgiving servant, when given grace and mercy, you can see something's missing. He walked out of the king's presence and immediately forgot what was just handed to him. How do you do that? It's right there. It's within minutes. It says, as soon as he left the king, he ran into another servant. And he couldn't remember it for that long. Maybe he felt elated. This has been lifted on me. I can start over again. And maybe he's saying, I'll start by getting everyone's money that they owe me. He seemed to miss the point. He got out of slavery, but somehow it seems like he's back in slavery again. Some would refer to this as cheap grace, where we say, God, I know what you're giving me. Thank you for clearing out my debt, and I'm just going to move on, and if it happens again, you'll do it again. This is the whole idea around what's been shared, even in the last five chapters. I've just, it's not about the rules, about the law. It's about this grace and forgiveness. When we end at chapter five, there's a passage there that I, I just appreciated how uh, Eugene Peterson says. He says, one man said no to God. This is chapter 5, 19 to 20. He said, one man said no to God and put many people in the wrong. One man said yes to God, but put many people in the right. He's talking about Adam doing that one thing that was carried on through all of us. But the other man, Jesus, made things right. And then he says, all that, pass, that passing laws against sin did was produce more lawbreakers. That's my favorite line. More laws just produce more lawbreakers. We find ways to get around things. It said, but sin didn't and doesn't have a chance in competition with aggressive forgiveness we call grace. When it's sin versus grace, grace wins hands down. Do we believe that? 
Do we believe that grace wins hands down? Because <laughs> then it starts with, the, with chapter 6, and it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We're dead to sin. He says it over and over. You can read, when you read Paul's letters, he tends to say the things over and over again. I think he's trying to make a point. I think he knows his audience are going to be the ones that go out from the king's forgiveness and then go out and look for the the debt that's owed to them. That you forget it that quickly. I know none of you want to be those people. But I think there's something that's not right with us in understanding this concept that we can actually go and do the opposite and not offer the same mercy, grace, and forgiveness. I love the image that he gives about baptism. The importance of baptism uh, in what he wanted them to see. That He's speaking to an audience of Christians who are baptized. And he's looking at them and saying, don't you remember baptism? Don't you remember your baptism that you were buried with Christ? As you go into the water and you're raised to life in him. You were dead and you're raised to life. That's the image. There's an old man, there's an old woman that has died. Do you remember that piece? Or do you just say, I have the life, the aliveness? There's a, there's a, a line in here, and I, I, I love this idea of, of what, again, what Eugene Peterson says. He says, Christ, Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get to include in his life-saving resurrection. It says, the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. There's a word in here, if you look in Romans uh, chapter 6, verse 11. And there's different translations. But in the NIV it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. There's a word that I had not seen, and that word is count. Count yourselves dead. That word count is actually a, a, a Greek word which is legizome. Uh, and it means to reckon, to count. It was an accounting term. To calculate, to count over. To look at the debt. To, to look at balancing it out. Making sure that things are what they are. You know, making sure that we know what's come in and what goes out. In the New Living Bible, it says these words, so look upon your old sin nature as dead and unresponsive to sin. 
and instead be alive in God, alert to him through Jesus Christ. This idea of counting, there's something about looking as well at the dead and seeing what that was. Looking at the fact that you have died, but seeing the debt, seeing everything that's been stripped off of you as you raise to life. And quite often, like I said, we can just come out of it and say, I'm good, everything's great, I'm going to move forward. But I think the thing that the servant didn't see was that he owed $100,000. And he completely forgot about it. The king forgets about it. But don't you forget about it. Because that's huge. It changes my demeanor when I look at it. And it's not meant for you to feel guilt. It's meant for you to see the, the, the enormity of what Christ has done. That's why it can seem so trite sometimes when people say, I choose to follow Jesus, and then tend to stumble without looking at, do you know what it cost? Like, did you, did you know what the debt was? And I don't think we want to. I think sometimes we look at that passage saying, we're jumping off into a new faith and we can forget all that stuff. Instead of saying, I shouldn't forget. And thank God he doesn't remember. Do we see the enormity of it? And yet in my sinfulness, I can look at the petty things that I demand of my fellow servants. The grudges that I can hold. The debts that I can count up and say, you owe me so much. I think sometimes we can do that to God too. You owe me something. That's not the contract that was made. I cleared out your entire debt. I did that. I'm not asking for a payback. But I'm hoping that you understand the concept as well of how to clear out debts to others. And again, we know it's not financial. There's so much more here. But we are dead. Dead to that old stuff. Do we understand the freedom that we have? The grace that we have? Being alive in the King. Dead to sin, but alive. Dead to sin, but alive in Christ. That's who I am. I am dead to sin. I need to remember that, but I need to remember what that was all about because I come with humility I come to the Father with humility and thankfulness and gratitude of what you've done that's how you can offer that to others I don't know how you can have that kind of grace and mercy if you don't see what you got it's a challenging thing, and again, the hyperbole is huge there. 
that we don't see a God that's going to do those things, but he wants us to understand that we need to look at, count, take an account of what, is owed, what was owed to the Father so that we understand the depth of his love, grace, and mercy. One of the words that comes up in this passage, you see the words, offer yourselves. That you can offer yourselves to sin. I love that. This is how Eugene Peterson puts it. He said, offer yourselves to sin, for instance, and it's your last free act. But offer yourselves to the ways of God, and freedom will never quit. In all your lives, you've let sin tell you what to do. I know we wrestle with that. I know that we're going to sin again. But I think that there's this place where I'm wanting to understand just how much God loves me. Offering yourselves, you can offer yourselves to sin or you can offer yourselves to God. You can be slaves to sin or you can be slaves to righteousness. Because Christ has done that for you. I think the challenge for Christians is how to walk that way. How do we walk as those free people with a sense that I get to offer grace and mercy? Again, we come back to the scripture that Shannon and I have shared and Steve is that Romans 12, 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We get to call out to the Lord. We get to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I love that it's in the light of his mercy. In the light of his mercy. Do I remember what he forgave? We don't want to wear ourselves down by past sins. We want to be lifted from that, but we never want to forget. That was one of the hardest lessons when I was working with youth to teach them. Is when they would blow it, I had this one kid that just blew it big time. And his anger was that people didn't give him more grace. And I said, be careful that before you assume that everyone should give you grace, remember what you did. Because we know through history and through scripture that the wages of sin was death. Like if you did something wrong, there was a consequence. And I wanted this young guy to know that what you deserve, what you were going to get was death. And Jesus saved you from that. Now how will you walk this out with grace? And not demand it. That's one of the, the most painful things to watch is when people demand grace. 
when we shouldn't be able to demand grace. We should receive the grace that Christ has given us, but also recognize how big it was of what God did. And this idea, our response needs to offer ourselves, and the other one is to show mercy and forgiveness. He said, Peter asked, how many times should I forgive? Seven? For Peter, that was a lot. <laughs> like, is it seven? Is that, that's the perfect number. And then Jesus uses the number again and says, 70 times seven. That's huge. But that's how we respond. And, the, and I was reading uh, in, the, in the commentary, I think it was with uh, Bird, his commentary, he talks about how uh, God in parables, how Jesus talked about God uh, in parables, he said he was only uh, angry twice. And both times it was a king. The one was in, in uh, Matthew, I think it's Matthew 22, 7, where he was enraged at those people that he invited to a banquet that refused to come. He was angry. And the other time he was angry was in this parable of the unforgive, of unforgiving slave. Is that he's angry for two reasons is that he's angry when he extends mercy and people reject it. And the other one is when we refuse to pass it on to others. That's the wrath of God. That's, that's him being angry. He is angry when we don't show mercy, when we reject mercy. And I think that rejecting is about did you look at the debt? Did you count it? Did you see what it was? That when, I, when my dad baptized me, I remember him saying those words over me and saying that you were dead to sin and now you're alive in Christ. We need to walk as those people, those resurrection people, that we don't carry the heaviness of debt, but we carry the gratitude of what was forgiven. That's a powerful way to walk as followers of Jesus Christ. It changes how I view everyone in what I offer 